0: This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Eric Nowak, 42, Gobbler. It's another great day for wellness. And this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So, get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And Pac, super excited to be back on the airways with you this week and to highlight our special guest. Um, You guys are probably going to be familiar with who this guest is as his role in our national leadership position or or organization as, as he has Um, but, uh, and he just filled a wisdom. I've heard him, uh, on several podcasts. Uh, He's a regular on the new reboot of the reboot of the reboot of the 43 feet, um, as they like to say, uh, and, and dispels his wisdom and lots of, uh, leadership, but I kind of wanted to bring him on today's episode to talk about his personal health journey. Um, we know in F3, we have a variety of packs, all shapes and sizes, Uh, Ages, backgrounds. And I thought it'd be interesting just to kind of highlight some of the leadership of F3 over the next couple months, uh, just to have them come on and share their stories and really kind of help us understand what F3 means to them, how they use F3 in their own lives, and the health impact that it had on their lives. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and bring in our special guest today. I have None other than Eric Nowak, or otherwise known as Gobbler in the Gloom. Welcome to the show, my brother.
1: Hey, Bones. How you doing today?
0: I'm awesome, man. I think we were just talking briefly about uh, we got the hurricane coming up the East Coast a little bit. uh, But other than that, man, uh, life is good here uh, in the Charlotte-Fort Mill region. How is it over there on the West Coast?
1: So I'm located in Tacoma, Washington, just south of Seattle. Um, It has been unusually uh, warmer this time of year, we got a late start to our summer. And then, uh, which I work in construction now as a PM. So it was like in my face every day. Uh, and now it's been staying drier longer. They're calling for like 80 degrees out here on the first day of October. That is unreal. Uh, (laughs) it's never that warm in October.
0: Yeah, I know. I I love when October hits because it kind of gives you that coolness. Uh, we do have a little bit of that going on around here, but, uh, I, uh, certainly, uh, uh, share your sentiment about the weather and how the coolness of October really makes a difference. And so, well, good luck to you, man. I'm, I'm actually going to be doing a show rec- uh, coming up here on about electrolytes and losing hydration. So it might be something you boys need to listen to uh, <laughs> as far as losing that water weight. So let's dive into a little bit about your F3, um, you know, journey. Uh, obviously I mentioned your name, Gobbler. I'd love to know how you got that name. Walk us through the story of how you learned about F3, how you got EH'd, and um, why the name Gobbler.
1: So, yeah, I'll I'll give a slightly longer version on this than I have in the past. Um, I was, uh, and we'll probably touch on this as we get more into it, but I had just returned from Qatar for a six-month deployment, and um, I had gotten home. Uh, I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, and um, my wife at the time, now ex-wife, she had switched churches while I was gone. Um, because that's what she did and so she had met a couple people uh, at the new church I hadn't obviously met anyone and she started telling me about this um, one of her mops friends her husband was going to be doing this fitness group over at the church I was like you know what I'm working out five days a week that's more than the average person I don't need I like sleeping in on Saturdays uh, but I got up it was the end of March 2017 I got up um, I went one day uh, showed up at the church and I, that was when I met Fieb for the first time. Um, he wanted, he kept started talking about giving me a nickname called bunny. Um, I just looked at him with the look that most people give Fieb the first time you meet him. Um, and just ignored him knowing been around, uh, male camaraderie enough, knowing that the surest way to get a nickname is to tell someone you don't want it. So I didn't say anything. And, um, so that's, that's why I first heard about F3. It was a pre-launch workout. I um, met some of the guys there, went home, researched it. And then later that, uh, well, it must have been I guess, mid, early April. Later that month, at the end of April, like 3rd or 4th week of April, we officially launched in uh, North Park of Pittsburgh. Um, that's where I, you know, a couple guys, I think Stone Cold and Baracus, I think came up um, from where they're at. And uh, we launched F3 Pittsburgh. And so, Went around the circle, um, came to me, uh, we started uh, going around, and um, of course, FIAB started shouting out Bunny, because for some reason, which is the, the hilarious part is he thought I was fast, which if you know me, I'm not a runner, we'll get into more of this later, but running and burpees are like my two least favorite things to do, and he's trying to call me Bunny, and I was like, just ignoring him, ignoring him, and I was saved by the fact that one of the cues that came up to help us launch that first week. This was back when we did the leap model, when we would send after uh-huh. we send guys to your city. He was a Virginia Tech graduate, and so as soon as he heard that I also graduated from Virginia Tech, um, he gave me the name Gobbler as a as a homage to uh, to Virginia Tech. Um, I am I for many years I thought I was the only Gobbler in F3 Nation, and then. I have learned through Iron Packs that there is a second. Oh, uh, in another, when I scrolled through the whole, you know, names to put my times in, um, I came across another gobbler. So there is another one out there, but uh, I haven't met him yet.
0: Did they have a better score than you? Cause you could always claim that one.
1: Uh, you know,
0: I, it wasn't that important to, to <laughs> I, don't I don't care, but I was just, you know, teasing you as far as uh, gobbler. I, 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 agree. I think that's a much better name than bunny. I'm not sure uh, anybody wants to run around with bunny, but Hey, there might be a bunny F3 out there. So if that's you, uh, God bless you, carry the banner. Uh, so you were actually part of working out with quote unquote F3 guys prior to F3 actually being a region in your area. So you guys, you were actually part of a plant then. So yeah, we had like one, maybe
1: two workouts. And then, yeah, so I am, I guess considered a redwood of Pittsburgh and I worked out there for two two years before I moved here to the uh, Pacific Northwest.
0: Got it. So what brought you over, over, over to the other side of the country?
1: Uh, Simply and blatantly put, um, I went through a divorce with, with uh, my wife, my ex-wife now, and she insisted on moving out here. And oh. so instead of fighting her, I compromised and let her move out here in June of 2018. And then I, I was still in the Army. And so uh, I know a lot of people may not understand this, but you can't just get up and move when you're in the Army. You kind of kind of have to stay where you're at until they they tell you. And so I, um, I was able to work through the Army systems, uh, talk to some people, and I got orders that moved me and my new wife out to um, – uh, out here to Tacoma, I, JBL Joint Base lewis McCord and I got an assignment out here. And the whole goal was to, I used the Army to move move me out here, worked for a couple of years, finished my assignment, and then I transitioned uh, to a civilian job, uh, still in the Army Reserves, uh, finishing up my 20 years. But, you know, that's, uh, and we can get into some of the mental health around that if you'd like, uh, around the whole divorce and that, that aspect. Uh, but it, it was driven by my ex-wife desiring to move out here to be near
0: friends. Got it. And now I'm assuming because she moved, you had children with her that moved yes. and that's why you wanted to move as well. Not just to be around her. No, that's a good, that's a good point of clarification. <laughs> I had no desire
1: to actually be around her. Um, and I can say this cause I doubt she'll ever listen to this podcast, but I had, uh, uh, we have two girls together, Imogen age now 13 uh, and Esme age uh, seven. Now at that time, was that like three years ago? So they were uh, 10 and four, um, Yes. I was moving to, to be close to my daughters. And, and so Got that's, it. that's what I did. And
0: uh, my understanding is you have a younger uh, child now as well with your new I wife. I do. I do.
1: Um, my, my wife now, Paige and I, uh, we have a son who is one named Otto. Got and it. He is all boy. He's, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I have one of each and they certainly are different. It's amazing. Uh, even when you have multiple of the same sex, as you know, with two daughters, uh, how different each child can be, even though they were created by the same set of parents in most instances. It's amazing. So, and my, well, older for you, man.
1: Is, yeah, my older daughter is very verbal and she talks all the time, um, which I know to people who know me is not a surprise. But Otto, while he's not talking yet, he just never stops making noises ever. I mean, he's just always making some noise and always in motion. And it's a, you you can't get it. My wife can't get anything done around the house. We, we run uh, a, a small business out of the house as well. And, uh, doing crochet and knit items. And it's just so hard to get anything done when she's there at home with him. He just, he's picking up the yarn. He's picking up the crochet needles. He's trying to get the, the, the really, the scissors to play with them. Just whatever it is. He's just like, whatever you don't want him to have, he wants to have it right now.
0: Yeah. No, wow. I mean, kids, kids know how to grab attention. That's for sure. So what, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, you having a national, uh, leadership role uh, with F3 Nation. So what exactly is that role? And, um, you know, what what do you do for the nation in that role?
1: Yeah, so the official is Weasel Shaker for the F3 Nation. Um, so I work with Dark Helmet He's as the president. And then uh, the rest of the team, hopefully I don't forget anyone. Uh, you got Hello Kitty as comms. You got GMO as sectors. You've got Bada Bing for IT. got Beans now. He just came on as the um, expansion. You got Bono from Leadership Development. And the seven of us, uh, we work together to lead the nation and the set, you know, strategic division uh, for the packs as we grow the nation. Specifically, my role in that is, I jokingly say, is to shake the biggest weasel of the nation, which is dark helmet. But um, I, uh, I'm kind of like the team manager, so I set the schedule, set the meetings, you know, try to set out meeting notes, um, kind of drive that process, um, lead any of the planning processes that we're doing. And then that's for the team itself. And then as a kind of as a larger, i take a step back and I try to look at how our processes and procedures are affecting our culture. The second and third are effects. Um, you know, you might come up with a great solution, but how does that solution further the cultural development of the nation and the mission at large? And then uh, I try to help, you know, I work. Probably the least amount that I do is I try to work with some of the, the other weasel seekers to, to, to that end, to understand, Hey, what are you doing to, to further, you know, the weasel shakers? I try to foster a community of practice for the weasel shakers on Slack. Um, So, you know, I look at structure. Um I, I think I am, if you don't like sectors, then I'm the person to blame. If you don't think the sector should exist, please come blame me. That that was my idea at some point, I think. Um, But yeah, it's, it's kind of that whole nebulous, the, 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 the keeping the trains running on time, looking at the structure, looking at the processes, procedures, those type of things.
0: Got it. Yeah, I think there's some confusion about you know the term weasel shaker and what that means. Uh, you know, certainly it's one of those terms that just in corporate America I was never came across or understood. So, you know, having an idea of kind of what that means as far as kind of it sounds like to me kind of more of like a stimulator of kind of processes and getting things done and making sure that people are doing what they need to do. and. Um, I think at a local level in a region, um, if my understanding is correct, that kind of similar, right? I mean, they're making sure that guys are out there and posting and the leadership team is being engaged and and kind of just making sure guys are staying active and accountable, accountable to commitments and so forth. Is, is that accurate description or, is, or am I at, missing something?
1: Yeah. At the regional level, you'll see the weasel shaker – kind of um, they'll be they'll little different depending on the region depending upon the size depending upon the nantan i'm a big proponent of um the weasel shaker has to fit the nantan so if you have a, a, a depending on the nantan he might need a slightly different skill set um the weasel shaker itself was dread patterned after the uh, battalion executive officer of the army which many people might not be familiar with that role but he he's the guy that runs a staff that makes sure everything happens the you know, the the logistics, the you know, the communications, the HR department, he's running that staff. And his whole job isn't necessarily to do the work. His job is to come behind and find the guy that's not doing the work and make him do the work. Um and pro and set a process in place to make sure things happen smoothly. So it's all of those things at the regional level, it really depends upon what the region needs at the time. And that's what I, I try to help guys understand is that you just because you know, Chattanooga's over here doing it this way it doesn't mean Atlanta needs to do it this way. You do it dependent upon your needs, and that's one of the reasons that it makes it kind of this difficult role to explain. Because one, it was patterned after an army position that most people aren't familiar with, um, and Dread will tell you that. Uh, and then two, it's it depends upon the leaders and the packs, and so you you really need a guy that's really able to step in and evaluate what needs to be, what is the needs of this area, and then just do it, um, and then understand the the how to do some planning and some process development or find someone that can i mean if you can't do it that's fine go go get someone on your team that can so you'll see some regions where the weasel shaker would do it all you'll see some regions where weasel shaker actually get a team of guys and they'll put comms underneath and and data collection data collection is a huge thing for the weasel shaker um, because you're trying to track people and you're trying to see where that data becomes that stimuli that allows you to form um, operational plans and strategy as to where the region will go next.
0: Well, I appreciate that explanation because, like I said, I think there is some misunderstanding. Um, at least I had some and uh, been part of F3 like seven years. So uh, I appreciate you stepping in and doing an awesome job for the nation. Um, you know, I get a, the opportunity to see Dark Helmet quite regularly because you know he's in my region and I know that he really appreciates his you know shared leadership team and, and what you guys are doing so just to kind of switch gears now kind of talk about you personally uh, I mentioned also that you know we're a packs, our, our nation filled to packs of different sizes and shapes and and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff so just for context if you wouldn't mind kind of give us a paint us a picture of like how old you are um, height weight that kind of stuff just so that we kind of understand can visualize who you look, who you are, what you look like. So that as we dive into some of your health practices, guys that resonate with that can, can understand.
1: So I'm 42. Um, as I said, three kids, 13, seven, and one. Um, I am five, seven and a half when the army measures me. Um, <laughs> and currently uh, 225. And so okay. I have been, as light uh, in my Army career as 165. Oh, wow. So I have I have run the gamut as far as, as weight-ish on that concerns.
0: Got it. Okay, very good. So I appreciate that perspective so guys can k- kind of have an understanding of what you're doing or, or where you're on that spectrum. When you were at 165, was it because you were – really more active and, and, and deployed at that time? Or, or what, do, where do you think the biggest weight fluctuation came from?
1: It uh, was basic training and you do a lot of running and basic training. So I was just lighter in general. I mean, I was tw- I was 25 at the time. Um, I ran a two mile and 12 and a half minutes um, fastest wow. I've ever run it. Um, just, just, just a matter of being in basic training and doing basic training and, and uh, uh, AIT type stuff. Um, and then, I put on, I would say over the, you know, 42 now being older, a lot of the weight gain is just muscle. I mean, if you look at just even from a couple of years ago, um, through weight training and different things like that, I've definitely put on muscle and and, and some fat too much. I'll be honest, too much at this time, I do need to lose some body fat. Two years ago, I was at 200. Um, And then through a combination of stressors, um, going back to court with my ex-wife, having another kid, uh, I put on 20 pounds over the past two years and, uh, which is the weight that I current, my current weight goal, primary weight goal is to get that off, uh, because I need to. Um, but, uh, it, the probably stress in the, the past two years has been the, um, from the, the, the emotional aspect of dealing with a, a, a very contentious relationship has been, mm-hmm. um, detrimental to, <laughs> to my weight gain. And, and, and then also, um, Sleep deprivation due to having a little one has not helped any, and it's still a, an issue. Um, I'm, just, I mean, just last night he he's crying in the middle of the night, and I had to had to bring him to bed with me. And um, I actually slept through my alarm this morning because I was so tired, which was okay because this is a recovery, a deload week on on my training, uh, so it was it worked out okay. But kind of gives you a a, a kind of where I'm at on that whole that whole sleep thing is a real tough tough nugget for me right now when I'm having to share the bed with a Um, a one-year-old.
0: Absolutely, man. There's certainly uh, times in life where sleep deprivation is, you know, acceptable and it's just part of what you have to do. Um, I tell people all the time that, you know, you're going to have, no, sleep is important. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent for proper sleep. And um, I think that uh, if we're not getting sleep on a consistent basis, it certainly affects our health overall. But there's some instances where we just can't, no matter what we want to do. Uh, you know, our family scenarios or even stress in our in our lives uh, can can alter that. So I appreciate you being honest and open about all that. And, and uh, the good news is, as you as you know, with older children, that too will change, and they will start sleeping uh, more consistently, and, and you'll you know be able to get back out there. So I know you mentioned the Army, and we can kind of dive into some of that uh, physical fitness, if you will, uh, through that process. But just growing up as a kid, as a teenager, um, did you consider yourself healthy? Were you pretty active? Tell me a little about your upbringing and, and kind of how that worked out for you.
1: So if you'd asked me at the time, I'd have probably said no. I'd have been like, no, I'm not physically active. I'm not athletic. And, I, and I, to be honest, athleticism as defined by the ability to – you know, put a ball where you want it, um, probably would not be considered athletic, but um, I grew up on a farm. And looking back, I can see that actually I probably was very fit, but it was not in a, a playing sports type way. Um, my parents, um, so my dad, back up, my dad uh, was fired from his job as an orchard manager in 1982, and he decided. And I say this because of the economic situation. I think he bought a farm at like 17% interest rate at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like ridiculous. Um, But he bought 40 acres of land, and he became a full-time farmer in 1983. Um, And then my mom uh, was a substitute teacher at the time, and she actually became – went full-time on the farm since 1989. So from the point that I was nine years old on, um, my parents were full-time farmers. That's all they did and uh, up until – well, even now, my mom is still doing it. Even uh, with my dad's, uh, my dad has um, Lewy body dementia, and he's well, very close to to the end of life. Here, uh, she's still doing it. She's seventy one, and she's still plugging away and doing doing the farm. So, growing up on that, I had to work uh, on the farm. So I didn't play sports. I I worked. So during the summer, it was eighty hours a week farming, and it was it was not hay farming. It was fruits and vegetables. So a lot of manual labor. You know, running irrigation lines out picking fruits and vegetables, picking apples, peaches, you name it. We did it all uh, going to the market, loading, unloading the truck. Um, that's, that's what we did. And I did that all the way till 2025, 20, really. Um, I was on, on the farm regularly um, uh, through college. I actually have my bachelor's degree in horticulture. So that was uh, something that I, I understand very well. And um, my brothers, the same way, they were there. They were doing that. It was That was just what we did. Um, and so I didn't realize this. Is, looking back, I see now how physically active I was. Like, I mean, you get up at 6, 7, you work to lunch. I mean, you're working, you're outside in the heat. You're doing all that stuff. And it's just what we did. It was very natural, Very just what we did. Um, and I didn't realize how different that was at the time.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly a start contrast to, to a lot of people's upbringing. And certainly in, in today's age, you know, I mean, I have two teenagers that you got to bribe just to walk outside the door without their phone in their face. And so I can you know, only imagine, you know, after a long day of work, just the physical activity. Um, I have some relatives, uh, in the Illinois, Indiana area and, uh, all had farms. And I used to remember visiting, as a teenager and going up there and and helping out and man, just one day was uh, enough to just really put you to sleep well that night. So I couldn't imagine day in and day out. Well,
1: and I will tell you, um, so uh, my mom looks like Helga from Hagar the Herbal, the comic strip. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but she's part Norwegian and whatnot, long blonde hair, but that's what she looks like. Uh, I, when I was, I could not beat her at arm wrestling until I was 14. That wow. was like, that was, that was, <laughs> I have made it. I have done it. I have beat my mom in arm wrestling. And uh, I don't think many, many men grow up with that idea of like, wow, I just finally beat my mom in arm wrestling, but um, that that was the way it was, you know, and uh, she, uh, she, I mean, she grew up in Oregon and then Alaska um, and her brothers, we cu- we kind of come from this tradition of, of entrepreneurial and physically active. I have an uncle, well, my dad's older uncle owns a farm and then his other brother um owns his own cabinet shop and then on my mom's side her she's from 7 total 7 so she's got an older sister that owned a bike shop another sister who went to the mission field a brother who owns a fishing boat a brother who's a logger a brother who's a mechanic um and it's just this this i, I would say this culture of physically active working very hard um I tell the joke about my grandfather who built a twenty-foot boat inside of a twelve-foot living room. Um, that's a story for another day, um, you know. But I, uh, we come from that that tradition where, um, but also one of education as well because my dad's dad got a college degree in the nineteen thirties, and if you go, if you you don't, if you think about it, nobody or very few people went to college before World War II. He used his GI Bill to get a second degree, you know. My mom's, on my mom's side. So did my great-grandfather. Uh, he was an army officer, engineer like myself. And he was, he was living out here in Oregon after World War One, And he met a woman and he wanted to marry her. Her name was Helen. And uh, her dad would not let her get married until she finished college. Wow. And 19, this was 1920. So she, yeah. got a, she got, in three years, she graduated college with a double, double major. So mm-hmm. it's this tradition of, of uh, of you know being active and and then also you know education and um and just doing it. I mean, I it, just no excuses. I have a uh, a little placard in my what I call Gobbler's Garage here, in my home weight room, and uh and failure is not an option. And that's kind of how you know what growing up on the farm kind of gave gave us is like you don't, you don't have a choice. Right. Like you, you either work or you don't eat. And that's not in a punishment sense. That's just a, you w- must work to eat. And that's this, it's dependent upon us to, to do it. And we were all in it as a family. Um, and I think you see that today where, you know, we're trying to help my mom with, with my dad and everything on the farm with, um, with his end of life. That that's still, that mentality is still there.
0: Sure. No, I mean, it sounds like a fantastic upbringing and just that, uh, that work ethic that you own and I'm sure you're passing on to your own 2.0s here, uh, as far as that education slash work hard, uh, you get what you, you, you put effort into. And, and I think that's a great background to have. And, you know, certainly is probably going to propel you to, to great things and has propelled you to great things. Uh, you know, as an adult. So from a health perspective, um, what would you consider kind of one of your biggest health challenges up to this point? I mean, do you have any specific injuries or any specific illnesses? What, what would you, if you had to look back, uh, what would you say your biggest health challenge has been?
1: So I I would say two, um, I've always been on the heavier side uh, and that's been something heavier as far as just, I don't know, just whatever it is called my Eastern European genetics um but then so that would be a more chronic one where i have to i can't just go out and eat you know whatever i want that's just not what i can do um and then i had a uh I, my knee and my right knee has always given me a little bit of trouble since i was uh probably 15 16 in fact um when i first went to join the army in 2006 i had to get a waiver for it because somebody's like some doctor at the entrance says, "Oh, that looks bad. I'm not sure we should let you in, you know, And so I went to a doctor and the doctor said, "Oh, it's okay." But I ended up tearing my meniscus in two thousand and ten uh, during my um, deployment to Afghanistan. It was in it was in the middle of Kandahar City. We were taking a um, set of mine rollers off a vehicle in the middle of the night because nothing ever breaks down in daylight, in case you didn't know this. It always breaks down at night in enemy territory. And so we're sitting there in the middle of Kandahar doing recovery operations, and I went to get in my vehicle, um, and, and when I say vehicle, it's like a you have to get up, like you have to climb into this vehicle. Um, my meniscus tore. Didn't know it at the time, but that, that's what happened. I had a hook-buckle tear. Um, that was February of uh, 2010. Um, I had to go back. I did five more missions the PA said, hey, you got to go back. I went back, got that taken care of, um, went in, cleaned it out, and it's still uh, – it doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do most days, but it is definitely something that I still am aware of because um, it does – uh, it pops, it cracks, it does things that, you know, the average person would say that's probably not what it's supposed to do, but for me is normal. Um, it still gets a little more, uh, soreness when I run underneath the kneecap stuff that I've just become used to.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, it sounds like it hasn't inhibited you from doing some of the things you want to do, but at the same time, um, it is a previous injury. There is some issues with it. You got to be smart around, certain activities and, and positions. So it makes perfect sense. I know you were in the military um, when you kind of learned about F3 through the story that you shared earlier. Um, and certainly I'm sure the military has its own physical fitness standards that you guys have to kind of stay on top of, but just overall from a fitness strategy, what was your day in day out fitness strategy prior to learning about F3? Oh,
1: that's a, <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, At the time, so um, the Army pre – a couple years ago, and even to a certain degree, it was um, prejudiced towards cardiovascular. Um, And this was through the PT test, but it was also through culture. Um, And so it was really – and part of that was because it was easy. Most people could max the push-ups, which – was anywhere from, depending on your age, 60 to 80 in two minutes. And the setups was about 80 in two minutes. But a lot of people struggled on the run. And so if you could run, you were golden. You know, that's just don't, don't, don't drop out of the run. It was, you know, if you're doing a, a company run or a unit run, don't drop out. And if you did drop out, particularly as an officer, you, you that was not good. Um, this wasn't good. And so, you know, I put some effort into running through, well, definitely through my lieutenant years, and then I went to career course, and I started, I started doing more lifting in uh, in career course. So that would have been in two thousand and thirteen uh, when I was at Leonard Wood, and then um, kind of started trying to keep that through. But company command time at Fort Riley was really um, was really stressful, as it's supposed to be, It's designed to be stressful. Uh, so it was really difficult to stay on top and have a ma- maintain a current uh, or a, a consistent. Um, workout regimen through there. But then, all right, so when I came to Pittsburgh, I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, three days a week lifting, which is what I did. And then, uh, and do, you know, cardio on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I did that when I went to Qatar for those six months, I made a, I, I went ahead and said, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on the strength thing. And so I did, um, uh, I had been using starting strengths, uh, Mark Ripto's linear progression up until then. So then I shifted and used a, the 531 program by Jim Wedler, uh, which is four days a week, and I, I did that. Uh, took my deadlift, and all the all the lifts went up I, as you would because of the, the way that program is designed. It's going to make you stronger in those lifts just because of its specialization. So then when I came back um, to Pittsburgh. And I and that that is when I I was introduced to F three. So I came I came back from Qatar focusing on this strength, this aspect of strength, knowing I, when I came back, okay, I have to refocus and get some cardio under me. And so um, that was kind of how I used F three to make sure I was doing that. And then so I've been back and forth uh, between four days a week lifting and letting F three do cardio, or three days a week lifting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, full body. And then using Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays as cardio, which is what I've I'm doing right now because I find that it's the best one is the best way to stay balanced for me, and two, there's a Tuesday, Thursday, AO that I um, have kind of start. I started, and there's only three of us there, so I can't not show up right now. Yeah,
0: the accountability factor uh, is is real when it comes to the F three uh, brotherhood and getting out there in the gloom. So it sounds like to me that. From a strategy, your personal strategy is kind of uh, strength training, kind of building the muscle, maintaining that, and then sprinkling in the cardiovascular and allowing the boot camp style exercise or running style exercise through the F three workout serve that part. Is is that pretty accurate? That's very
1: accurate, and and there's a couple reasons for that. And and I do want to make sure that I'm not making a I'm not saying this is right for everybody, right? But for me, I start with the strength first, and the one of the primary reasons for that, there's two primary reasons. One is um, strength lifts all boats, right? If you're doing it correctly, you're going to increase your muscular endurance. You're going to increase your cardiovascular endurance, right? Um, I, I, you know, because I lift across a multitude of rep ranges, you do get the, not, and not like running, but you will get it in there. Um, You'll increase mobility. You'll increase all those if done correctly. The second thing is that through my time in the army and I'm, you know still as an army reservist, they did change the PT test up. And now instead of push-ups, sit-ups, run, it's three max deadlift, it's a sled pull, it's hand release push-ups, um, it's a ball toss, um, it's a sprint drag carry, and it's now it's an anti-two-mile run on top of it, so it's a lot more strength-based. And so, like just from the army, is they're realizing they need for stronger soldiers, and so they've changed their PT test to that, and so. Like the three rep max on the deadlift is I have to be able to pull three hundred and forty pounds on a trap bar um for three reps correctly. Uh so that
0: based on your size and age.
1: Uh that's just so they've changed uh, yeah, we don't want to go down that path. Okay. Whole, that's
0: fine. I was just curious. The whole, uh, yeah, yeah the army been all over kind of, on that. Uh, they've it. tried to
1: yeah. they they tried to create a gender neutral test and um I got it. Okay. No, so, let's just put it that. Yes, three hundred forty pounds is what I'm going to lift three times every time. Got it. Um, okay. So, uh, and so that just requires a, a pretty basic training. I can't, you know, it does require, some maintenance on that. Um, it's well below my a PR, but you gotta, you gotta stay on that. Sure. Um, and if you don't maintain it, it'll and it's like anything. You, if you give every that's the first event. If you give everything on that first event, then you're not gonna have anything left on the six. The other five events, so, um, but yeah, the that strength is important. But the other key is something that's very unique. It's not going to be uh, unique to most people, and that is how combat is now. And if I am activated and I am expected to deploy. Um, combat i, I am uh, what most of my times i've spent on vehicles of mechanization i when i was at Bratford bradley uh, i was a bradley i had uh, armor personnel carriers which is the bradley m2 vehicle um living and working around those vehicles is much easier if you're stronger it's just the, I that. like i just i don't know how else to say it like if you're lighter if you're an infantryman, it may not apply. Right? You're, if you're a light fighter and you jump out of airplanes, yes, you do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that get inside of tanks, get inside of Bradleys, and they have to do the work around those vehicles. They're very um, unforgiving vehicles, and you have to move weight all the time. Ammo boxes, rounds, track brakes, like these, these things that you have to do to maintain the vehicles are… Just easier if you're stronger. And so okay. um, that's, that's really what – the second reason why I continue to pursue strength because if I have to in my job as a soldier, it's just easier. If you put on um, body armor, my full kit when I was down range was 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I will say it's probably easier for a 200-pound soldier to handle that 50 pounds than a 150-pound soldier.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and strength is everything. I mean, I think, uh, you're hitting and it sounds like the army's going in that direction. And I shared on previous episodes about the importance of muscle building and protein consumption. And really the reality and the epidemic that we have as people age is the lack of muscle, um, and, and the, the sedentary lifestyle that many people have, but, you know, even ultra endurance athletes, they've seen, Really, kind of have a problem long term later in life because of the muscle balance and testosterone for men specifically. And so, I'm a big fan of uh, lifting as well. I've, I've, you know, been a proponent of, you know, if F3 is the only thing you're doing, which is absolutely cool if that's what you're doing, um, to implement some kind of gear workout or some sort of lift heavy stuff style of workout in addition to just going out there and running all the time. And and there's nothing wrong with running per se, but I think if you're avoiding the muscle building perspective of your health, that you're going to fall short. So I, uh, I've personally been on a journey where I'm implementing more strength training in my regimen in addition, and kind of like you using the F3 workouts for that cardiovascular aspect of, and getting out. And of course we both know F3 is much bigger than the workout and it's the camaraderie of the guys and, the accountability and just making ourselves better men and leaders as a result of being around high quality men, uh, as far as, you know, that goes. Um, so when it comes to working out with F three, do you have a preference of style of workout, the broke camp, rock, um, you know, run, what, what's your favorite? Oh, um, so I have
1: a favorite style. Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. So if I'm visiting your region and I'm showing up uh, and you ask me to cue or I ask to cue, I will probably do a, per, a string of pearls workout with teaching. Because as an F3 leader, I'm, I'm going to come in and I'm going to play that role as well. Okay, um, And I've done that before in Pittsburgh. I've done it when I visit back in Pittsburgh, uh, Blue Ridge. I, I will come in and I will teach. Um, throughout the workout because I am I want to make sure that we are all on the mission right I'm taking that opportunity to do that missional role however if I'm in here defiance and Tacoma and I'm and it's my day to queue um, which should be coming up soon here um, there's a couple that I uh, a couple things that I will do um, one of my favorite workouts is the gobbler ladder um, and that's one where I have it's push-ups, you do, it's how I do that. It's pushups, squats, and sit-ups. And then I, but in between each one is a run. so you start with 400 meters and you do pushups. Then you do 800 meters and then you do squats. Then you do 1200 meters. Then you do sit-ups, right. And then, and then you come back down and that's a, it's a ladder like that. Um, I like those full bodies. So you get, you get upper body, you get lower body, you get abs, and then you put the cardio. So I'll, I'll, I can create workouts that way. And um, I've also done it where you do 10 push-ups, 20 squats, 30 sit-ups, run a quarter mile. Uh, that was one of my favorite ones at the Point of Pain at Pittsburgh because what I found is there was a guy, uh, Bieber, who was a really good runner. But after about the second set of sit-ups, he couldn't run as fast. Because he's his abs are weak. And so it started hitting everything. And so a lot of times I will find I try to find that balance where it, it, it'll hit everybody. And eventually, no matter what your strength is, your weakness is what gets hit. Um there's another style of workout that I I've, I've created out here that works pretty well is you take one exercise that's a timing exercise. So a, a carry or a drag. So drag a hundred and twenty-pound sandbag or 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 do something like that. Maybe a run around the track. It's a self-timing one. And then you pair it, and this works well if you have five or six guys. Everyone else is doing an exercise, and then as that self-timing one comes around, you rotate, and you just keep doing that. And so maybe while one guy is doing the self-timing exercise, you're doing merkins or you're doing squats or you're, you're doing something with a, with a weight or something like that, kettlebell swings. And so you'll, you'll do that. Um, those workouts go really well because you never stop moving. And that's the key. Like, if you look at a lot of workouts, there's a lot of time wasted um, as guys are either explaining things or just in transitions. And so what I'll try to do is find those workouts where there's there's very little rest time and you just keep yeah. going. Um, and those are, you know, they tend to be volume, uh, volume you know, they, a lot of volume in that short period of time. Uh, those tend to play a little bit to my strength. Um, and I, and this is where I, I've always kind of wondered about why that is, you know, why do you, why do some people... Um, produce certain physical attributes more than others. Uh, And I think that when you have a, when you grow up doing sports, you, you, you train your body to power type events, running, jumping, short bursts of energy and, and over a short distance. But then there's this other aspect of physical fitness where you bring it down. It's almost like marathon running to an extent, but it's more exercise based. And so it's, you, if you start looking at, you know, you can do a a lot in a short period of time, or you can do a you know lower amount over a long period of time, right? And then you've got that middle ground in there. You want to hit across all all of those um, types of exercise, whether it be running or weight training. And weight training from a metabolic sense is very very similar to sprinting because you're just the way the muscles work. And so I try to look at it from that from that sense and try to pair things together accordingly. Um, one of the things I'm a big fan of, I don't do it in my workouts too much or with my uh, F3 workouts, but I'll do it in my workouts. I have in the past where you carry an overload amount of weight. So we're talking, if you can ruck 40 pounds, we're talking, you're rucking 80, 100, 160 pounds. You put that in a, on your back between a sandbag and a, and a same um, rucksack and you carry that for a mile. Wow! And so you do that um, what I tell people is that that does it one, if you are short on time, you're able to get a lot of the same benefits as if you rocked six miles with 40 pounds, but you do it a lot, like you condense it. And so I tell yeah. people like you, if you only have 30 minutes, then load it up.
0: Yeah. You know, runners can see. do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a strategy a lot of times with runners too. They'll, they'll put like a eight, 10 pound weight vest on and and do the a distance that's less than maybe what they need to do because of that additional strain. So, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm with you on the design of workout. I'm a big fan of all body parts being, you know, systematic about, you know, if you're working this body part then once the antagonistic muscle and, and it it sounds like you put a lot of thought to it and and I I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate when packs do that versus when it doesn't seem like, uh, there's a rhyme or reason for what we're doing out there. But like I said already, uh, sometimes it is just a matter about being out there with the guys and not the workout, and and that's part of you know part of that three. So, what is your favorite CSOP, or what has been your favorite CSOP over over the years?
1: Obviously, the Gobbler Challenge.
0: They, <laughs> I no, knew you not. were going to say that.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's coming up here in November. Yeah, um, go
0: ahead and plug it for us. Go ahead. Oh
1: yeah, so uh, yeah, the Gobbler Challenge is just simply. Um, It's a one-day thing. It's an hour-long workout, so I say plan for an hour and a half so you have some warm-up and cool-down. It got started – well, I guess unofficially got started in 2018 in Pittsburgh. I did the first one there. I told the guys, hey, I'm doing a Thanksgiving Day workout. Meet me here. And I had about 15, 20 guys come out, and uh, we did – had some block work. I had them do – gosh, I'm trying to remember – we carried the block up and down the hill, and then at the top and bottom, I think I had them do front squats with the block going up overhead to a back squat, and that was one rep. So front squat, up, down, back squat, one rep. Wow. Um, they didn't like me for that. Uh, <laughs> and then we finished. Anyways, so that was when we started. We did it then. 2019, I was moving, so I didn't do it. But then in 2020, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic. I was, I guess, I think my official role was troubadour at the time out here on the West Coast, like the only guy west of the Rockies. And so I was trying to come up with um, ways that a lot of the newer regions, because we had newer regions out west, could develop a tradition. So I was like, hey, let's do the Gobbler Challenge. And I had people like, well, we already do our Thanksgiving stuff. I said, fine, then don't do the Gobbler Challenge. I don't care. Um, you, you have something. You're not the target audience, but there's a lot of new regions that have never done anything for Thanksgiving. And so, this was this idea of an hour long workout. Um, the first one included like 500 kettlebell swings because uh, I was in the middle of doing a 10,000 kettlebell swing challenge, um, which is a great article. I, if, if guys are looking for something to push yourself, uh, look up the 10,000 kettlebell swing challenge by Dan John. Yeah, Dan John. Um, great strength athlete. Um, and it's a great month long, you'll do 10,000 swings over 20 workouts. Um, but I, that, that was why I did it that first one. It was totally selfish and I needed to have a workout that kept me doing that challenge. Uh, last year we did, uh, we tried to bear crawl like two kilometers while doing exercises. That was foolish. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, most people did not finish it. Um, but I am planning, I already, uh, I already have the one planned this year. No bear crawls. I'll tell people that right now. Zero beer crawls.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's a uh, it's not consistent the same year after year. It's right. almost like an iron packs uh, scenario where you know something terrible is coming. You just don't yeah. know what it's going to be until it gets dropped. Yeah,
1: yeah this, I like it. I think this year, though, I've um, the guys here in Tacoma have um, uh, they're they're kind of helping me out a lot more. Um, and so we, uh, one of the guys, has designed a patch, so we might have a patch for sale. And uh, I think we're going to try and uh, t- um, connect it to a, a charity and raise money as well. So we're trying to do a little bit more yeah. than, than just beat, beat ourselves to oblivion. And uh, what I say, earn your Turkey. So,
0: yeah, no, I mean, I think that's great. Guys will do uh, almost anything for a patch uh, as well as, you know, you add a charity to it. It does make it much more than just doing something silly out in the gloom certainly can justify to your family and friends while you're, choosing Thanksgiving morning to go out and do this ridiculousness uh, away from the family. Uh, if you have a charity that's benefiting that uh, sometimes is easy to understand as far as our motivation. And that's really what we're trying to do as men out there is, is push ourselves, but you know, be that community resource. And so that's awesome, man. So speaking of kind of getting out in the gloom, obviously you're doing a good job, but that's not always the case for every guy that gets introduced to, to F3, you get the opportunity to travel a little bit, post downrange, obviously, as part of the leadership team, get some inside view of kind of some of the things that are, 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 are concerns for guys out there uh, when it comes to being consistent in the gloom. So what do you think the biggest obstacle packs face as far as being consistent in the gloom and how can they overcome it if, if, if you have a solution? Um, I,
1: I think that when it comes to consistency and doing, and this goes to doing the hard thing and doing the seesaw, it it kind of fits into both. It's that there's a a belief that somewhere men have gotten this idea that they're far softer than they actually are. Um, I'm and. What I'm getting at is um and I've heard it. It's like, oh, I, I'm not gonna do iron packs, that's overtraining. No, no, you're not overtraining. I'm sorry. I I have been working out six days a week since two, every week. Well, I know since 2017 and probably before that to a certain degree. Um, and yes, have I hurt myself? Absolutely. Uh I've pulled muscles, I've pulled this, I've pulled that, and I've and I've said it publicly, the best way to uh, recover from a workout is keep posting. Um, when I mean that is show up and do what you can, not do the same workout, right? And so one of the things it's a mental thing. I, I'm a believer. It's more mental than it is physical. Is you you have to just not leave yourself the choice, and you just you just have to do it. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Like you 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 know maybe it's the army mentality. You know someone. I mean, when I started the Corps of Cadets back in 2008, uh, no, 98, 2098, no, 1998. I'll get the year right. 1998, I was 18. Um, that was my first interaction to military lifestyle. It was not the Army. It was actually the Corps of Cadets of Virginia Tech. My first morning when I woke up, I woke up being uh, to the song "Welcome to the Jungle" and uh, getting rosted out of bed for you know PT. That was my first military style experience. And ever since then, it's it's been the same. You, you get up, um, and you work out. You whatever it is, you just you make a plan and you do it. Um, you know, if you you don't make a plan, then you plan to fail. Uh, if you people who say they can't work out six days a week, well, you have to start by getting up six days a week. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah, there's a balance to it. I mean, I don't do weight. You know, I I do weights three days a week. So that means I hit it very intensely three days a week, and I do feel if I go for a run on Thursday, yeah, I feel it. I can't run as fast if I didn't do weights the, the previous day or, or something like that. You know, I was doing uh, iron packs Tuesdays because I couldn't make it on Saturdays the past couple of weeks, and yeah, I felt it because I worked out. But I, my my goal wasn't about having the fastest time. Right, and so this is this idea between uh, part of this is this idea between training and exercise. Um, exercise is what you do to make yourself feel better, or for the endorphins, or you just get up and you do something. But training is having a plan. And so, if you want to work out more, then develop a plan to get yourself there. You know, just do it. Um, now I got it. Timing. There's all there's there's kids. You got to get up. I, I got all that. I'm I'm there too. Um, I have to go through that as well, and I have to shift stuff around. I, I'll be missing the Saturday workout because I'm helping my wife with the market. All right, it's just the way it is. Um, I missed last Saturday because we were doing a SLT virtual retreat. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. But sure. I still have those those other days, and you get after it. I just think that we we get into our heads, and we we are definitely capable of accomplishing far more than we've been taught we can.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent on that. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, very early on in my FU journey, I, I get teased about it still today, but we were in a CSOP scenario and, and just, you know, we were kind of hitting the wall of our physical ability. And, you know, I, I got to just turn to one of the guys next to me. I said, man, you still have like 40% left uh, physically that your mind's not letting you know. And I'd probably heard it from Jocko or something like that. But the reality is, yeah, we are much stronger men than, or, or capable of doing much more than we allow ourselves to believe. Um, because you know, pain's pain's a deterrent and sleep is a deterrent and tiredness is a deterrent. Um, uh, but I like the idea of, you know, or, or the thought that you put out there about having the plan and the difference between exercise and training, because that is, you know, that, that's very true. And, and, you know, when you're first going to F3, I mean, that's fine. Just get out there. And if, you, if you're somebody that exercise wasn't part of your paradigm prior to F3, then just getting up and showing up and going through the motions is a great starting point. Uh, consistency will win the day on that, and, and you'll just continue to get better. But at some point, you know, guys hit plateaus or they stop. You know, one of the things I, I see guys do is they just stop accelerating Or they just, quote, unquote, keep going back and back and never seen a change. Well, that's because there's probably a lack of intentionality as far as their training goes. And I think that's something you brought up uh, brilliantly because that is something. And, you know, when we were... In Jacksonville this past spring, uh we went to the Sandlock Jacks, uh, had the opportunity to go down there. And some of the things I recognized in my own physical fitness that I wasn't achieving that I wanted to achieve, I had to come back with a different mindset. I said, you know what? These are some of the things that I want to accomplish. And if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm gonna keep getting the same results. And you have to, you have to you have to switch it up. And so you're kind of speaking to this daily red pill perspective, you know, what keeps us motivated? So for you, what keeps you? Taking that daily red pill on a daily basis from a motivation standpoint?
1: So, I think I have a couple of things. Uh, one is just, you know, the motivation to excel in, in the Army is, even though I'm in the reserves, it's still there. Um, you know, I, when I, my last position was actually teaching Army reservists and National Guards. And, and one of the things I told them was, you were 90 days at all time at any, every day, you were only 90 days from being somewhere in uniform anywhere in the world. All wow. it takes all it takes is one dumbass in charge of another country to do something and you could be in that country in 90 days. and you have to be ready. Like I, I don't know how else to say it. as an army reservist or as a Navy reserve, any of the reservists, um, that is the way it is. And if you you know you go back and you look at you know 1991 when Saddam went into Kuwait, that was the way it was you know and that that is that is the way we as our nation have set up the armed forces active duty goes out first and the reservists come backfill we've been doing that since world war 1 it hasn't changed and so as a reservist i have to understand i cannot wait until the red star cluster goes up to get ready it's not enough time okay you're just not going to be there and so you have to stay to to a certain degree i have to stay a certain amount of readiness with certain physical abilities now apart from that I like being able to pick up my son and throw him overhead I like doing that he likes it um, and any ad- additional children I have I'm sure will like it and so you I that requires certain physical attributes I, I don't know what to say like that that is motivation to me to keep doing uh, keep getting up in the morning keep training you know keep making the overhead press a part of my exercise all the time, right? Just because I like to pick up my son and push him over and put him overhead. There are a lot of guys, I I get weird looks when I can toss my son five to six feet up in the air. Now, I'm sure some of those are from people who think I'm absolutely crazy, but I also know a lot, some of those are from people who wish they could do it, Right. you know, um, because they can't, because they, they don't, physically don't have the strength. You know, um, I when I trained for my first grow ruck, my mental in my mind, I told myself, I'm not training for the welcome party. I'm training for 3 a.m. Right. What do you when you train for a grow ruck, or when you train for men, are you training for the first hour or are you training for that time when you know everyone else is going to be struggling? And it's that kind of that same thing is that you have to over train for that that's why training, that aspect of training and having a goal is so important. You know, you want to train for the BRR. you don't train for your first leg, you train for your last leg.
0: <laughs> right? uh, amen. I just went through that and I that's 100% accurate.
1: Right. And because we know that if you only train for that first leg that you can get to the, the last one, you're going to be, it's going to be hard. Um, you know, I've done the hardest physical thing I've ever done um, was a personal seesaw of mine. I rode my bike. From Tacoma to Portland, 169.9 miles, and I did it in one day. Wow. And there there was a moment um, that happened. I had I had crossed the Columbia River um, uh, and I had made a left on the Route 30. So I was in the Oregon side, about 10 miles, about 40 miles from Portland. So I had literally ridden the farthest I had ever ridden in one day. I had ridden about 130, 120, 130 miles. So I had already done – I would already achieved something that day, and uh, I was done, flat out done. I am laying on the grass. My bike's on the ground. I am literally laying spread eagle on the side of the road. Nobody's stopping to help me, by the way. I'm done. I pick up my phone, and I call my wife, who was supposed to meet me in Portland, with the full intent of telling her to come pick me up. Uh, And I I didn't get a chance to ask her to pick me up because she was – Call this whatever you want, but she was in standstill traffic on I-5 She she's going nowhere, uh, and she's like, yeah, I, I'm not going to make it there till 8 o'clock tonight. This was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm just – so I have a choice. I can keep going or I can quit. Well, it made no sense to quit because she wasn't going to be able to get me to four hours, so I might as well do something for the next four hours, so I just got on the bike and kept – somehow just kept moving. Um, she got to the hotel 15 minutes before me. So, I I learned through that experience. One, there comes a time when it doesn't matter who you are, um, you're going to want to quit. You're going to come to that point, and you will quit mentally. Like I had quit mentally in my, I literally had quit in my mind. The only thing that kept me going was the fact that I had no, I had no bailout. I the the ships were burned. There was no, sh- there was nothing coming for me, and so. I got on my bike, I drank water, ate some more food, choked down another peanut butter and honey sandwich, but by that point were absolutely disgusting because I'd eaten like six of them that day. And I just kept pedaling. Sun went down, it cooled off, got some water in my body, and I rode through Portland and made it in met her and got an Epsom salt bath and you know, posted the next day, which was probably not the best idea either. But um I had to because that was that was the plan. You know, and so I go back to this is like uh, I jokingly will use this term THS. It's tiny heart syndrome, uh, and I would challenge every man to just you know ask yourself like are you are you bailing on this because you actually need to bail to keep your concentricus right, and that's a perfect reason to bail on something because you have to you you are needed somewhere else in your life. But are you bailing because you really? because you actually want to and you really don't want because you know it's hard and you're using your wife as an excuse and I have seen that Um, I've seen that I've seen guys say oh my wife won't let me and I'm like really really is it really your wife won't let you or is it you're just using her as an excuse and you're too chicken to pony up and just say it to us
0: yeah I mean and you bring it up a good point it's it's putting ourselves through these trials, these these grit moments that really kind of indicate to us what we're really made of. And so um, even more reason to kind of find your next CSOP, find your next opportunity to get out there and, and, and push yourself past limits. And, you know, what, that was one of the biggest fears I had going into the BRR this past year. I had I'd done it previously just as a, a nine person team. And I've been on a six person team before in a different relay, uh, just not the Blue Ridge. And really hadn't been training a lot of running as of this year prior leading up to it. And, you know, I was full disclosure scared to death because I just wasn't sure how my body was going to handle it mentally. I felt like, you know what, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to do it. But that all changes at two in the morning when you're cramping up and, you know, you just don't know if you could, you know, physically be able to do it. But uh, as expected, um, you know, my body was much stronger than my mind allowed me to think. And to your point, just, and, and, and similar to what you did it's just kind of pressed on and, and certainly paid, you know, I hurt, don't get me wrong. I, I, it took me a couple of days and I shared that, I think this past week on the COT, as far as some of the things I did personally just to recover. Um, and there's certainly time and place for that, but, uh, I definitely, uh, found myself capable of much more as a result of putting myself through these scenarios. So, I think Pax, if you're listening and, and and you know, there's this big, audacious, crazy thing that you just mentally don't think you can do even more. So reason to do it and, and be smart about training and everything like that. But at the same time, you are much tougher than you think you are. And I think you, that story Gobbler, was great to kind of, uh, you know, emphasize that. Well, man, I could keep going and going, uh, but we're probably coming up on time here. Maybe we'll have you back and, and you can kind of share some of your other health related stories and, and kind of give us that perspective. But I do have a couple of just final questions for you. And you've already explained tons of great advice and kind of your philosophy and perspective. But if you had like three tips to a PAX member who's maybe new to F3, they're trying to get involved in their um, fitness and and, and um, eating or whatever it might be, what would three quick tips be for them to accelerate their hunt for wellness.
1: So I'll tell you the three things I am trying to do and I've been trying to do for all year. Okay. Uh, drink more water. Okay. Get good sleep. And um I would say, you know, uh if you're look at your processed carb intake, I would say those those three things if we look at it, if we're honest about men and as Americans if we got those three things squared away and I struggle with all three of those because and the re- there's a reason we struggle with them um it's because our lifestyles it's hard to get around this is uh, the job I'm in is the most physically inactive job I've ever had um and uh, but those three things are um you know th- they're low hanging fruit they're the low, you know if you you drink more water you get good to sleep and you cut out processed uh, carbs, particularly at night, um, you're going to be better. You're going to feel better. And then the other thing is I'll say, don't major on the minors. Hmm. Uh, and that can, you can apply that anywhere from weight training. Don't do curls. If you can't do a pull-up, right. Don't do hamstring curls. If you can't do a squat, right. That's majoring on the, you know, that's, that's look at it that way. Same thing with running. Don't worry about getting uh, hyper focused on, um, you know, a running program if you're not running. And every, every trainer will tell you it's more important about being consistent with a, with a program than the program itself.
0: Amen to it, that. It
1: will, you will, it doesn't matter what you do, just do it daily. And every yeah. weight training article I've ever read, the trainers come down to the same thing. Um, it's more consistency is the number one factor in being fit. And losing any of that stuff than any of the other minutia whether you're and i got protein behind me doesn't whether it be one gram of protein or two grams of protein per body weight whatever you don't make you know that's minor stuff you have to get through the um the important stuff and so you know it's, i think as my dad told it's don't major on the minors you know spend the 80 percent of your effort on the important stuff
0: yeah that's great to be,
1: i mean you want to be an athlete uh if you want to make your living as an athlete that's a different story but for most of us aren't.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point and, and, and good, good tips. And, and you know a lot of times it's about just doing the simple basic stuff and being consistent. And that could be in any aspect of life, right? Consistent with your finances, consistent with your third F, consistent with everything. That's what differentiates people from just being average and being great. is isn't that they're doing anything specifically great as much as they're just consistent in what they're doing. And therefore, that consistently builds up to, to really produce that greatness. And so I think that that's that's fantastic. So I do have one final question for you. But before I do ask that, uh, Gobbler, I just want, once again, just to acknowledge you and say thank you for, uh, A, coming on the show today and sharing your uh, perspective and wisdom. And and more importantly, man, what you're doing uh, in your community as a leader, as a father, um, and then what you're doing for the nation. I, I know you uh, spend a lot of time behind the scenes making sure this thing we all love and and a lot of times maybe take for granted is running the way it needs to. As I mentioned already, I know the other uh, shared leadership team members appreciate you being part of that. So just... Thank you for that, man. And, and I really appreciate you and, and getting to know you a little bit better. Um, if someone wanted to reach out to you, uh, maybe they have a question about weasel shaking in their own region or, or just kind of what they can do based on what you talked about today. What's the best way uh, they can reach out to you?
1: Uh, slack is a good way. You know, I'm, I'm on Slack. I monitor that pretty daily from my desktop. Uh, If you're a weasel shaker, there's a weasel shaker channel you can get into. Um, I do a quarterly weasel shaker call the next one coming up at the end of October. Um, And then there's email gobbler at f3nation.com, you know, so those are probably the two best ways, you know, but if you, you, if you send me a DM on Twitter or just tag me on Twitter, I'll see it. You know, you want to send a pigeon, you want to send smoke signals, you know, it'll probably get to me eventually.
0: That's right, and then we're gonna be hearing from you i'm sh- I'm sure here in the next month or two about the uh the gobbler challenge and the specifics of it so that we can all dial in and uh participate together in that
1: yeah yeah that'll be coming out um I tend to start uh publicizing it right after the iron packs challenge so okay right when people are exhausted by that <laughs> which i I heard there's a rumor there's a week five I don't know yeah
0: i I think through the grapevine I'm seeing that so we'll uh we'll to be determined, I guess. I
1: I might, I might extend my deload week.
0: week. <laughs> there you go, right? I'm thinking about it. What, one more week of rest. My
1: ah. quads were so sore after this week. I cannot tell uh. you how, like, the front of my quads between the running. Yeah. Well, okay. I did do front squats on Monday, and then I did the running and sit up. So my quads were so sore on Thursday, yesterday. It was it was ridiculous.
0: Yeah. No, I hear you, man. Well, good for you continue to get out there regardless and i love it so my last question for you gobblers is this what is your definition of wellness
1: uh i would say oh, that's a good one wellness is to me is able to live the life that you want to live um if you cannot if and that is when, um, to me, a definition. Because you could look at the opposite of wellness, right? Stress is you know uh, negative stress. like, what's the, what is uh, what is stress? Well, it's living uh, against your values, right? If you li- if you are currently extra- doing something in your life that is against your core values, that is going to induce incredible amounts of stress in your body, and that is going to be unwellness. Uh, so you cannot be well if you're living against your core values and living against what you want. And so kind of look at it the other way is that true wellness comes that you're living the life that you want according to your core values. And I think that a lot of negativity, a lot of anxiety in our lives comes from the fact that people are doing things that they know is wrong mm. or they don't want to do. And so um, what I would say is, you know, if that is you, uh, my challenge to you is is you have to make a change. Um you know, if you, you see if I get this pithy sta- statement down, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. Um, you know, and so the other way to say it is, you know, you, you uh, if you want to, people get the things that they want when they put the effort in. And it, it sounds so trite and it sounds so, well, of course they do, but look at yourself. And, and you take some hard introspection sometimes to realize that the reason you're getting out of life what you're getting is because of what you're putting in, and that's just the way it is. And I, I mean these are the principles that I teach my kids every day is if you don't tell people what you want, if you don't stand up for what you believe in, if you make decisions based upon uh, making other people happy all the time in a negative way… Um, you know, just doing whatever they want. well, yeah, you're not going to be. You're going to have this anxiety and you're going to be disappointed in your life because you're reacting, you're not acting. Um, and so you can either have life lived upon you or you can live your life. Um, That's right. kind of where it boils down. So to me that, that is wellness is, li- is living your life according to your core values and what you the way you want it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.